Section 7 of Revelations of a Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. Revelations of a Wife by Adele Garrison. Chapter 7 A Friendly Warning. I know of nothing more exasperating to a hostess than to have her guests come to her home too early. It is bad enough to wait a meal for a belated guest, but to have some critical woman casually stroll in, before one is dressed or has put the final touches, so dear to every housewifely heart, on all the preparations, is simply maddening. I am no exception to the rule. As I heard the voices of Lillian Gale and her husband, I realized that they had arrived at three-thirty in the afternoon, when they had been invited for an evening chafing-dish supper. I was both disheartened and angry. But, of course, there was but one thing to do, much as I hated to do it. I must go into the living-room and cordially welcome these people. As I slipped off my kitchen apron, I thought of the hypocrisy which marks most social intercourse. What I really wanted to say to my guests was this. Please go home and come again at the proper time. I am not ready to receive you now. I had a sudden whimsical vision of the faces of Dicky and the Underwoods, if I should thus speak my real thoughts. The thought in some curious fashion made it easier for me to cross the room to Lillian Gale's side, extend my hand, and say cordially, How good of you to come this afternoon! I know it is unpardonable, Lillian's high-pitched voice answered. You invited us for the evening, not for the afternoon. But I told Harry that I was going to crucify the conventions and come over early, so I would have a chance to say more than two words to you before the rest get here. Harry Underwood elbowed his wife away from my side with a playful push and held out his hand. His brilliant black eyes looked down into mine with the same lazy approving expression that I had resented when Dicky introduced me to him at the theatre. I cudgelled my brain in vain for some airy nothing with which to answer his nonsense. I never have had the gift of repartee. I can talk well enough about subjects that interest me when I am conversing with someone whom I know well, but the frothy persiflage, the light banter that forms the conversation's stock in trade of so many women, is an alien tongue to me. "'You are just as welcome as Mrs. Underwood is,' I said heartily at last. Fortunately, he did not read the precisely honest meaning hidden in my words. "'Come on, Harry, into my room,' urged Dicky, taking him by the arm. "'I've got a special brand cashed in there, and had to hide it so mine Frau wouldn't drink it up. I suppose my face reflected the dismay I felt at this intimation that the women would begin drinking so early. I feared for the repetition of the experience of Friday evening. But the laws of conventions and hospitality bound me. I felt that I could not protest. 
Mrs. Underwood apparently had no such scruples. She clutched Dicky by the arm and swung him around, facing her. "'Now see here, my Dicky bird,' she began. "'You begin this special bottle kind of business, and I walk out of here. I should think you and Harry would have had enough of this the other evening. We came over here today for a little visit, and tonight we'll sit on either the water wagon or the beer wagon.' just as Mrs. Graham says. But you boys won't start any of these special drinks, or I'll know the reason why. Oh, cut it out, Lil, her husband said, not crossly, but mechanically, as if it were a phrase he often used. But Dicky laughed down at her, although I knew by the look in his eye that he was much annoyed. All right, Lil, he said easily. I suppose Madge will fall in gratitude on your neck for this when she gets you into the seclusion of her room. You haven't any objection to our having a teenty-weenty little smoke, have you, Mama dear? Go as far as you like, she returned, ignoring the sneers. As I turned and led the way to my room, I was conscious of curiously mingled emotions. Relief at the elimination of the special bottle with its inevitable consequences, and resentment that Dicky should so weakly obey the dictum of another woman, battled with each other. But stronger than either was a dawning wonder. From the conversation I had overheard in the theatre dressing-room, and trifling things in Mrs. Underwood's own conduct, I had been led to believe that she was sentimentally interested in Dicky, and that some time in the future I might have to battle with her for his affections. But her speech to him, which I had just heard, savored more of the mother laying down the law to a refractory child than it did of anything approaching sentiment. Could it be, I told myself, that I had been mistaken? Our husbands looked exceedingly comfortable when we rejoined them, for they were smoking vigorously and discussing the merits of two boxers Mr. Underwood had recently seen. As we entered the room, both men, of course, sprang to their feet, and I had a moment's opportunity to contrast their appearance. Dicky is slender, lithe, with merry brown eyes, and thick brown hair with a touch of auburn in it, and just enough suspicion of a curl to give him several minutes hard brushing each day trying to keep it down. Harry Underwood, taller even than Dicky, who is above the medium height, is massive in frame, well-built, muscular, with black hair tinged with gray, and the blackest, most piercing eyes I have ever seen. I was proud of Dicky as I stood looking at them, while Lillian exchanged some merry nonsense with Dicky, but I also had to acknowledge that Harry Underwood was a splendid specimen of manhood. As if he had read my thoughts, his eyes caught mine and held them. To all appearances he was listening to the banter of Dicky and his wife, but there was an inscrutable look in his eyes, an enigmatical smile upon his lips as he looked at me that vaguely troubled me. His glance, his smile, seemed significant somehow, 
as if we were old friends who held some humorous experience in common remembrance and i had never seen him but once before in my life i shrugged my shoulders ever so slightly it is a habit of mine when i am displeased or wish to throw off some unpleasant sensation of memory i was almost unconscious of having used the gesture but harry underwood crossed the room as if it had been a signal and stood looking down quizzically at me little lady he began you shouldn't hold a grudge so well it doesn't harmonize with your eyes and your mouth they were meant for kindness not severity if there is any way that i can show you i am humble to the dust for coming here i'll do any penance you say you must be mistaken mr underwood i strove to control my voice i have no grudge whatever against you so you see you are absolved in advance from my penance will you shake hands on it he put out his large white beautifully formed hand and grasped mine before i had half extended it i felt myself flushing hotly of all the absolutely idiotic things in the world the standing hand in hand with harry underwood in a formal pact of friendship or forgiveness or whatever he imagined the hand-clasp signified was the most ridiculous he was quick enough to fathom my distaste but he clasped my hand tighter and bending slightly so that he could look straight into my eyes he said lazily smiling you are the most charming prevaricator i know you come pretty near to hating me little lady but you won't dislike me long i'll make a bet with myself on that hold that pose for just a minute don't move it's simply perfect lillian underwood's merry voice interrupted her husband's declaration with clever mimicry she struck the attitude of a nervous photographer just ready to close the shutter of his camera dicky stood just behind her too also smiling but while lillian's merriment evidently was genuine i detected a distaste for the proceedings behind dicky's smile which i knew was forced lillian slipped in an imaginary plate then springing to one side stood pretending to clasp the bulb of the shutter in her hand while she counted one two three four five thank you now if you will just change your expressions she rattled on harry why don't you take both her hands then if mrs graham will smile a little we will have a sentimental gem or if she makes her expression even a trifle more disapproving than it is i can label it unhand me villain i never take a dare returned her husband and snatched my other hand but i was really angry by this time and i wrenched my hands away with an effort and threw my head a trifle haughtily although fortunately i was able to control my words do you know people that there will be no food for you to-night unless i busy myself with its preparations immediately mrs underwood won't you entertain those boys and excuse me for a little while 
I went into the dining room and put on the kitchen apron I had taken off when I heard the voices of my early guests. Almost immediately Lillian appeared, arrayed in an apron I had given her. She came up to the table and surveyed it with appraising eyes. "'I am glad of this chance to speak with you alone, for I want to explain to you about him.' She stopped with an embarrassed flush. I gazed at her in amazement. Lillian Underwood flustered? I could not believe my eyes. "'You are not used to us or our ways, or I shouldn't bother to tell you this. But I can see that you are much annoyed at Harry, and I don't blame you. But you mustn't mind him.' he is really harmless he falls in love with every new face he sees has a violent attack then gets over it just as quickly you are an entirely new type to him so i suppose his attack this time will be a little more prolonged he'll make violent love to you behind my back or before my face but you mustn't mind him I understand, and I'll straighten him out when he gets too annoying. The embarrassed flush had disappeared by this time. She was talking in as cool and matter-of-fact manner as if she had been discussing the defection of a cook. My first emotion was resentment against my husband. Why, I asked myself passionately, had Dicky insisted upon my friendship with these people? suppose they were his most intimate friends i was his wife and i had nothing whatever in common with them knowing them as well as he did he must have known harry underwood's propensities he must also have known the gossip that connected his own name with lillian's he should have guarded me from any contact with them I felt my anger fuse to a white heat against both my husband and Lillian. An ugly suspicion crossed my mind. Lillian Gale's absolute calmness in the face of her husband's wayward affections was unique in my experience of women. Was the secret of her indifference a lack of interest in her own husband, or an excess of interest in mine? Did she hope perhaps to gain ground with Dicky with the development of this situation? Was her warning to me only part of a cunningly constructed plan, whereby she would stimulate my interest in Harry Underwood? I was ashamed of my thoughts, even as they came to me. Lillian Gale seemed too big a woman, too frank and honest of countenance for such a subterfuge but I could not help feeling all my old distrust and dislike of the woman rush over me. I had a struggle to keep my voice from being tinged with the dislike I felt as I answered her. I am sure you must be mistaken, Mrs. Underwood. Such a possibility as that would be unspeakably annoying. We will not consider it. I think you will find you will have to consider it she returned brusquely, with a curious glance at me. But we do not need to spoil our afternoon discussing it. End of chapter 7